It takes more than four cores just to run your company's security software to be a great laptop. This is Soft Skills Engineering, <laughs> episode 297. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice podcast for software developers about all the non-technical stuff, like how many extra cores you need just to keep that virus scanner happy. At what point do you need a dedicated laptop just to run <laughs> the security <laughs> scanning software? And then you have your other laptop that's for doing stuff. This one runs security scans. This one's my work laptop. <laughs> yeah. Actually, now that you say that, that is what has happened at, at previous jobs that I've been around. There's the there's the Skunkworks laptops that you can actually do stuff on. And, and the other ones that are crippled by paralyzing software that... yeah. Is it makes your laptop secure because when a hacker gets on it and tries to run a crypto miner, there's no CPU cycles left. <laughs> if they're trying to export all of your data through your machine, the, the network bandwidth is already taken up by the live screen recording that it's streaming to your company's central That's right. monitoring servers. <laughs> Good luck exfilling any of this data. Yeah. That road is already full of cars. All right, this episode is sponsored by OpsLevel. OpsLevel makes shipping great software easier, and we will share more about OpsLevel later in the episode. We want to thank our tremendous patrons. Thank you to the folks who contributed at the level that we shout them out every single week. Thank you so much to Craig Motlin, Rumman Code, I Love Mavis, The Stochastic Parrot, Alice Jost, Andrew Pollock, The Yeet Your Job Podcast, Ian Walter, Aaron Duna, Cameron Hall, Patreon.com.au, we're hiring... Ira Chan, Monkey Face Emoji, Jonathan King, testingisdocumenting.org, Oladapo Fadye, William Angel, Ragnar Harrison, Timmy Garibrandt, Nick Hathaway, Travis Sanders, Braden Keynes, I Bought Winrar, Nick Cantar, and Philip John Basile. Thank you to all of those wonderful people. Join them by going to softskills.audio and then click support us on Patreon. Any dollar amount will get you an invite to our Slack team, which is fantastic. We would love to see you there. I learned... What did I learn? There was a thread I was reading the other day. Someone was talking about sharing secrets with with each other and, and mentioned there's some mutual prime sharing technology that SSH uses, mm-hmm. which I didn't know was a thing. And I helpfully contributed by linking to the Amazon help docs about how to share your prime account. I thought you were going to talk about prime numbers. Wait. No, that's what it oh, is. But you... <laughs> I mean, it, it's... Yeah. You thought it was Amazon prime? Well, that's just what came up when I Googled prime sharing. Oh, okay. So... <laughs> I was just trying to contribute, you know. And did it help? It helped me. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. So that's what you're missing out on. As crazy as this is to hear, I have never equated Amazon Prime with Prime Numbers until this moment. It's the original Bitcoin. Prime Numbers somehow related to hashing. Okay, we better (laughs) get out of here. Eject! Pull the ripcord! (laughs) Ah! Do you want to read our first question, Dave? Sure thing. This comes from a listener named Liam who says, I was the second hire on my team and worked with one lead engineer who created the entire code base from scratch. This engineer's code was functional, but not well architected and has many inconsistencies. They have since left the company and been replaced with two new senior developers who are a lot stronger technically. We recognize issues with the current code base, but we're finding it hard to make decisions on the best way of solving things. We're all at the same seniority level, and the managers above us do not have hands-on experience with our code base or tech stack. Because we're at the same seniority level, I don't want to start acting beyond my job title and make all the architectural decisions. But at the same time, I don't want to be a pushover. How should decisions be made in a team with a flat structure and no defined leader? 
functional but not well architected and has many inconsistencies. Is this your code base or is this my personality? <laughs> <Da -dunes. laughs> hey yo. Let's see. I would say functional, not well architected, has many consistent inconsistencies. Pick two. Okay. That was a that was a joke around the here's a list of three good things, pick two, except two of these are bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would pick the two bad ones. <laughs> Poorly architected and inconsistent, and it is not functional. Do you remember a few years ago when flat structures were all the rage in tech? Well, I don't know. Were they all the rage in your area of tech? I was working at a startup at the time. So flat. So it was, it was very <laughs> easy for us to follow fads because there were like 10 of us. Yeah, it's like super easy. This What's the fad this week, Jameson? Well, I'll tell you. Monday is new fad day. <laughs> you know, I think the industry, well... I'm going to speak for the entire software industry. I think the industry has moved away from flat a lot over the last, I don't know, say 10 years. I agree. And it coincides with me moving into engineering management. So I think they were just waiting for me. Waiting for you to change the world. They're like, we're, we're going to be flat until Jameson gets here and then really knows how it's done. It couldn't possibly be that the moment Jameson and I both moved into management, suddenly the whole world <laughs> changed. <laughs> It couldn't possibly just be that our perspective shifted a little. No, they recognized the value <laughs> from us doing our work. Oh, <laughs> uh, Okay, I think the reason I asked that question was to ask, have you been in the situation where there is a not a clear decision maker, and so not a clear decision is being made? I have not, and the reason might surprise you. I feel like you just read me <laughs> a BuzzFeed article headline. <laughs> Well, that would be more like the three reasons, and you won't believe number two. I'm now engaging with your question okay. <laughs> to find out if I'm going to be surprised or not. It was an engagement hack just to get you to lead me to the question. No, I've, I've never <laughs> been in this experience because for better or worse, I'll let all my former coworkers decide if it was for worse. Uh, I tend to be the one that just kind of steps in and volunteers ideas and kind of becomes the de facto leader on accident with no input from anyone and certainly no democratic process. Just kind of happens that way whenever I see a vacuum. I have been in this situation because sometimes I'm fine stepping in and, and trying to move things forward in a group of, of peers or equal hierarchy, but sometimes I'm really not. And sometimes I am am fine with it and I'm not fine with it within the same group <laughs> even. So yeah, I've been around this before. How should decisions be made in a team with a flat structure, no defined leader? You're all the same seniority level. Mm-hmm. Two new senior developers. Okay, so I'm assuming that you are all three senior developers because you're all the same seniority level and you said that the two new people who joined were senior developers. So you should all be relatively mature and experienced. I think here's what you do. Go steal a mannequin from a department store <laughs> and put a suit on it. Okay. <laughs> and then that's that's your manager now. Okay. Is this like the rubber duck manager? Yeah, exactly. Business casual dress. <laughs> no jeans. <laughs> yeah. Tall in stature, strange in shade of skin and texture, but it's like that's fine. Manager's a little plasticky to the touch. <laughs> <laughs> when I shake its hand, <laughs> I just don't it's very rigid. I don't feel much. <laughs> rigid and room temperature. Poor at returning hugs. <laughs> but always there. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic listener. <laughs> Never interrupts. 
never never interrupts yeah and then you rubber duck manager you just ask this person present this person your problem Uh talk it out and and i think you'll come to an answer well okay that that i think if you explicitly raise this as a problem um a a group of three senior people should be able to make decisions without consensus if you if you can arrive at consensus that's cool if not you should not be blocked by lack of consensus at the very least you have an odd number so you can just vote if you want to you're just absolutely stuck. Yeah, as long as there are strictly less than three options on the table, you can vote. Shoot. You can't always just vote. <laughs> just found an edge case. <laughs> oh, dang it. No, I um I think if if everyone here is mature and senior, they will recognize the fact that they have their own ideas about what is best and what we should do, and the group will not always agree with them, and it is harmful for the group to block until everyone gets their way. And so I think you can present that to the group as, as like, this will help us out. Even if sometimes we will not make the decision that each of us individually would prefer, uh, we just need to get good at deciding things as a group uh, and, and move forward so we're not blocked. That's true. And sometimes, like the way, I think most people, the, the image they would get now is this idea that people just kind of muscle ideas through anyway, whether, you know, whether everyone's on board or not, I'm going to push my idea. But let me tell you that a truly mature senior engineer recognizes the return on investment of debating or delaying an idea because of a preference of their own and will very, like, excellent engineers will sit back and say, and not even say this out loud, but will sit back and think, I don't fully support this, but it's not worth our time and energy to debate this one, I'm going to support it, fully support it on the outside, and make it clear to the others that, hey, I'm on board of this, even if you're not totally on board of it. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that you should sacrifice every preference you have, but a truly mature senior engineer knows when the battle is worth is worth it and when it's not. Have you heard of Fist to Five? This to Five? Fist to Five. No. I also haven't heard of the other, the mispronunciation of that either. This to <laughs> <Right>. Five? <laughs> Five Fists of Fury is what we have called it internally because I couldn't remember what the name was, I think. I knew it was Five and Fists or something like that. Okay, so it's a it's a quick way of checking for consensus when you present an idea and you, you say your idea and then you ask for a fist of five and you can hold up or use Slack emojis, hold up a number of fingers on your hand or use Slack emojis to indicate. Mm-hmm. Zero is I'm totally blocking, I'm hard against this. Five is I love it and will champion it. And then there's a grade in between of like anything below three is uh, blocking in some way. And anything three and above is not blocking with an increasing level of enthusiasm and agreement. So if you're stuck on just the mechanics of like, do we agree or not? Then this is a very cheap way to check if you agree or not. And Sometimes you really are just stuck on the mechanics where people just agree or don't care, but you can't get people to engage enough to express that clearly. So that can be helpful. Yes. And sometimes it is a matter of engagement where it's like, actually, I don't care at all. But you're not hearing, as as someone who brought the idea to the table, sometimes you're not hearing, you don't hear the voices of people passionately agreeing or disagreeing. And some people hear that and think, okay, you agree. Some people hear that and think, oh, you're blocking my idea until I hear an affirmation. Yeah. So I like that. I like that you kind of have a mechanism whereby everyone has to engage. But if you get the the fist of fury, if you get not <laughs> consensus from that, yeah. what do you do next? Well, I mean, this is where it requires, you know, consensus building, by the way, is a skill. And this requires 
everyone who's participating to be good citizens, I think, in the process. And if you don't have all good citizens, it requires a special amount of skill from the person who's pushing a particular idea to navigate that. And it can be that can be challenging to do. But I found that if you know if you can really summon a high volume from your vocal cords and just yell, you can get a lot of people on your side. <laughs> I mean, we have. You mentioned consensus explicitly. Do you have to have consensus? I feel like you don't, right? Well, I might define. I might define consensus a little bit. I don't necessarily think of consensus as unanimity, but I think of it as at least agreement from enough people to be able to proceed, or a level of agreement enough. You know, like not stark opposition. <laughs> you know, so in other words, agreement or absence of strong opposition to proceed. Yeah. Can we talk about the one part of the question that says, I don't want to start acting beyond my job title? Sure. What's that about? I interpreted that to mean this: the question asker did not want to kind of set themselves up as the boss of the two peers Yeah. by saying, yeah. hey, we need to make a decision and I will make it. Yeah. And, and I can see reasons for not wanting to do that. Like you don't want to be perceived as a kind of a know-it-all or someone who took over. But at the same time, this team needs someone who's willing to step up and say, I am going to champion this idea, and I think we should go for it. I think this team needs that. I think you can also make it clear that you, well, assuming this is true, that you are not trying to tell them what to do. You're trying to help the group decide. And so the the ideal outcome here is not necessarily the team implements all of your ideas. It's that you work through things instead of kind of waffle over them for a long time. Mm -hmm. If you just say that, I think folks might be glad to have someone help out with that responsibility. Yeah. If it does turn into all your ideas winning, then you have performed a coup. And <laughs> right. And congratulations. You've solved. Now you have solved this problem where you can't all decide. And you have a new problem. You have a team full of resentful team members. <laughs> who are under your thumb. You have a morale and retention problem. <laughs> exactly. Uh Maybe maybe what's needed here is for these three team members to sit down with each other and say out loud the nature of the problem that this team has. Like, hey, we're all senior engineers. We've all got similar levels of experience. We have different opinions. We need a framework for making decisions together. Anytime you say the words, we need a framework to developers, you never know what you're <laughs> going to get, though. <laughs> that could turn into a 20-year-long open source project. Yeah, I don't know. I... If I were smarter or more well-versed in the literature, I would be able to talk about explicit decision-making frameworks, but I am not. So probably you can Google that and do yeah. what it says and try it. <laughs> Perfect. I'm sure there's stuff out there. In fact, I'm going to Google it right now. <laughs> Go for real-time literature Googling. Decision-making frameworks. There's a lot of content marketing for me to <laughs> go buy some products. Probably some courses, so too. I think the key is products buying stuff. I think that's the key to making decisions. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm out of ideas. Me too. I think maybe just like bring a blowtorch to work and you'll be so intimidating that everyone will want to do your ideas. You just use it to warm up your lunch. <laughs> Very carefully. Awesome. <laughs> All right. We've answered the question. Hey, Jameson, have you noticed there's a special kind of pain that software teams feel when they get big enough? Pain of open floor plans? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the pain of owning a huge pile of services, but 
having no clear ownership. This makes so many routine things harder than they need to be, like knowing who's on call, onboarding new hires, finding out who owns what. If you're lucky, you have some spreadsheet or maybe like four spreadsheets that list all the services your teams operate with manager contacts and on-call schedules, but you probably don't even have that. I've definitely felt that pain. Well, this is where ops level comes in. Ops level is a product that replaces that old spreadsheet that no one trusts with an always up-to-date catalog of all your services and teams. And ops level takes the friction out of launching new services by providing guardrails that let developers focus on writing code instead of chasing down people and getting approvals. When I worked at Amazon, we had tools like this. I can't imagine living without them, but small and medium-sized companies, they can't afford to build them. And this is why you need ops level. I've lived without them. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> the Rolodex of people who've worked there a long time is not as scalable as, as <laughs> ops level. Go to opslevel.com slash soft skills to solve this pain and learn how ops level makes shipping great software easier. End the suffering. Go to opslevel.com slash soft skills. Would you like to read our next question, Jameson? I sure would. This is from an anonymous listener who says, My previous manager quit the company last year and we've been assigned a new one. While the previous manager knew the technical side of the project really well, the new one seems to be clueless. They are not even showing any interest in learning about what we do. They are a good people manager, but lack of context make them feel like a really bad project manager. What should I do? Should I talk to them to convince them to learn more? Or is this just normal and we were really lucky with the previous manager? Ooh, the old people manager skills versus technical skills. This is me. I'm I'm the manager Oh, <laughs> in this question. No, not literally, right? Hmm. I mean... No, no. Well, I don't know. It's anonymous. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I could be. Previous manager quit the company last year. I mean, yeah, the previous manager did quit the company <laughs> last year. It lines up. Oh, boy. This is the job the first job where i have not known the full stack of the work that my teams were doing where i could jump into any part of the code and be a productive contributor interesting which is not exactly what they're saying their previous manager did but i think there's some overlap there and it there are a class of problems that i am not useful for solving mm -hmm. when it comes to things that i need personal hands-on experience to know uh, I, I'm not great at solving. Mm -hmm. The nice part is I work with a lot of developers who do know all that stuff and I can just ask them. So I I, I mean, I, I should probably ask them if they wish I knew more or wish I was more hands-on in the code. Well, but my impression is that it's going fine because I ask them and they tell me instead of me just throwing out ideas of how hard something will be or how yeah. long I think something would take or what's the right kind of tactical code level approach to take to solve this problem. I took this problem and spun it into an opportunity. Now you get to decide all these things. Good good news. Who does? The question asker. Oh, I see. You just... Not any interest in learning about what we do. Lack of context makes him a really bad project manager. Yeah, you have that context. So now it's your problem. Like you're... Well, congratulations. You're the technical lead. Is that what I'm hearing? I think so. Yeah. Because it sounds like the previous manager was doing people stuff and technical stuff. And this one is not. And actually, I think that's a little bit rare to have someone who, as a manager, is really good at the tech side and the people side. Would you agree with that? I think so. I feel like I have seen it happen more when someone has moved into management from previously working as an individual contributor at that same company, where they have 
they kind of like add on the people stuff, but bring all the engineer context from when they were primarily just building stuff. Yeah. But I, I have not seen it very often for new incoming managers where they come in and can be the kind of hybrid tech lead people manager successfully. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. I find myself in a similar situation as you, where I've come into a team not having any context on the particular tech stack or frankly, the product, which I've had to learn over the last year. And the fact is I I am not very useful at acute, narrowly focused technical questions. And I found that I mean, this this answer might not help the person who's asking this question, but it might help the the manager, is that I've found that I really need to lean on my team for those small questions, like the not small, but like kind of the narrowly focused, technical, detailed questions. And I tend to exert my will a little bit more on the higher level system and architectural questions. And maybe that's just because that's what I where I've got more experience and I've and I don't need as much fine low level detail context to, to do that. It feels like it's often more abstract, which means you could contribute to it without as much low-level detail. So the question asker says it makes them a really bad project manager. And I really wonder what that means. Is the engineering manager throwing out deadlines or timelines? or? or... Yeah, it's a good question. Because I could see that being a problem if they are being asked, how long will this take? And then instead of saying, I don't know, let's go talk to the team, they say, Two weeks, because that's the default estimate. <laughs> Whenever someone asks you how long something will take, it seems kind of big, but not huge. It's always two weeks. <laughs> but that that's not wait, that example you just shared is probably not a bad project manager. A bad project manager would say, team said two weeks, I'll promise it tomorrow. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I know they can get it done faster if I just force them to. I know they're sandbagging by 13 days out of 14. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just know their type from my previous yeah. <laughs> jobs at different companies. Yeah, and I, I'm also interested in this question, like what makes them a bad project manager? I'm actually interpreting that a little differently, which is the question asker saying is that it makes this manager a bad technical lead, like over the project that they're working on. That There's probably a whole bunch of yeah. decisions that were made by the previous manager on a regular basis that now there's no one to make those decisions. And this manager might not even know that. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't even know the previous person was making all these decisions. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, you kind of said it jokingly earlier, congratulations, now you're the tech lead. But maybe you are. Or at the very least, you should raise. You should be able to raise this issue to your new manager. Yeah. And you don't have to frame it as the last person did this and you are not doing it and it sucks. You're not doing enough and you have to mm-hmm. do it. But you can raise it as a as a pain point you're experiencing on your team that... We had someone who's fulfilling this tech lead role and we don't as much anymore. How, how should we solve that? And maybe the answer is you will do it. And then maybe you get to say, please give me more money to do more work. Yeah. Maybe the manager will just jump into it and, and didn't know that that was a thing, but can do it. Yeah, maybe. Those are the only two options. Just trying to yeah, think that's what, it. what the other thing <laughs> could be. <laughs> yeah. And I really do think that when a new manager comes in, it behooves you as someone who cares about the team to make sure that all the responsibilities that the old manager were doing get covered somehow. And so I would, I think it'd be really appropriate for you to sit down with this manager and outline for them some of the things that the previous manager did that this one, this person isn't doing just so that they at least know, like these are things that need to be done on the team. And as a manager, it's your job to delegate that or at least make sure it gets done and volunteer for some of them maybe, but this is your chance to make sure the team has good continuity. Yeah. That's a fair point that 
how would this person know if they it's very possible they just never knew what the team used to work like and no one told them so they're not aware of what is missing there and i've worked for managers who are very technically unskilled or just they just don't bring that experience to the table when they start a job and it is very tempting to be a whiny complainy engineer and like how could i possibly work for someone who doesn't know what a linked list is oh you know but the reality is these people have a lot to teach an engineer especially because the question asker says this is a good people manager well great there's probably a lot of skill here that your old manager didn't have because like i said it's pretty rare to have someone who's extremely skilled in both those areas yeah but you could have a lot to learn first of all And it could create an environment where you get to grow. And, you know, I don't want to rehash the become a tech lead thing. Like, you know, we've now mentioned it twice, but I'm kind of going in that direction, which is that you can be a partner to this manager. And that's how I have worked in the past, where it's like, I've got a people manager. I report to this person. They don't have the tech skills. So we partner on a lot of stuff. You know, the the people manager comes to me for input on other members of the team so I can help them calibrate and make sure everyone is treated fairly, you know, from the perspective of someone who understands their skills, you know, the people manager will, who, if they're really good, they'll often do things that you didn't even know should be done, like advocating for your team with the rest of the company, making sure the rest of the company knows what you're working on and why you are important. <laughs> you know, I've had a, a people manager who was really, really good at that. Yeah. It was almost like he was a full-time marketer in a past life. And so within the company, he did a fantastic job of advocating for us and making sure that people knew who we were, why we were important. And we got a seat at a lot of tables we wouldn't have gotten if it weren't for him. And I loved being the the technical counterpart to that person because I would show up at these meetings that I never would have gotten into with people who uh, I you know really wanted to work with all because this person was really good at navigating that kind of stuff. So you know I think this can be a blessing in disguise if you'll take advantage of it. So not even showing any interest in learning about what we do. That is potentially concerning if your manager really just doesn't care about the output of the team. If they don't care or are not interested or do not have time to dig into how you implement stuff, that could be one thing. But if they don't care about what you do day to day and and what your team is producing, that seems like a different problem. It's very possible that your manager has a, a bunch of stuff on their plate and like figuring out the code review process here is very yeah, far down on the probably list not even things. on the plate. It's not that they don't <laughs> Yeah, it's not that they don't care. It's that there are other things that are that are more pressing. Yeah. If it's if it's literally about the output of the team and how to tell did we do the thing that we were supposed to and what are we supposed to do, then that's a big deal. But if if they're not spending as much time on the day-to-day hands-on engineering things, it's probably because they're trying to keep up with all of the other stuff that comes with being a new engineering manager at this place. Could be. And I think you as a team member really need to carefully set your expectations for what you need this person to do for you. Because like Jameson said, the code review process is probably not on the top of their list or even on their list. And there's probably a hundred other little decisions like that. Like, hmm, for our sprint point estimates, should we use Fibonacci sequence or powers of two? No opinion, doesn't care, right? So don't expect them to, because when you expect them to, that's where you find pain. That the I've heard it said that the difference between expectations and reality that's where pain lives. <laughs> and that you want to try to hmm. get those expectations clear. That's up. really metal. <laughs> What's that? Come to the difference of expectations <laughs> and reality. The pain zone. <laughs> Were we just really lucky? Yeah. I don't know. I think you should learn stuff from this new person and and help them make sure that the work is allocated to somebody. But it's it's very possible uh, 
don't know if I said this explicitly. If I did, I will repeat myself. And if not, I'll just say it for the first time. And and it's a mystery to me which one of those two <laughs> this is going to be. They they might have no expectation that that you want them to be this involved technically. Maybe they had a bad experience in their past career where someone someone thought they were micromanaging because they were so involved in the the day to day and pushed back really hard or something like that. So figuring out if this if this is something that they know you want is probably mm-hmm. useful, and and what need you are trying to fulfill by having them do this is probably also useful because there might be a different way to do that that fits in with their skills and, and responsibilities. Yeah. All right. I'm done. You're done? All right. We're gonna we're gonna quit yep. this show. This episode only. Yeah. <laughs> oh, happy several weeks late sixth podcast anniversary. Yes. Congrats to you, Jameson. Much like my real anniversary. And <laughs> that you forgot? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It comes and goes and then I notice later and think, oh crap. You have tolerated me more than most companies have been willing to do. This is the longest job i have ever had if it is a and job. the lowest paying <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe those things are related maybe maybe money makes me quit jobs oh we've been doing this all wrong yeah you've been going after more money but every time you get more and then you stay less yeah all right well i think we're done thank you so much for listening what can people do if they want their own questions answered Go over to softskills.audio and click the ask a question button. You can uh, fill out our form there. And as always, thank you so much to all of you who have taken the time to fill out questions. There's kind of a lot of questions. Let's just say it's probably going to take us longer than six years to answer them all. <laughs> another six years. <laughs> but keep them, keep them coming. We love it. We do have another six years of material. Yeah, we, we definitely do. <laughs> keep the questions coming. We absolutely love them. All right. See you next week.